0: Mission sequence
1: start, six. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might live the adventure that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, or if you have ideas or topics for future episodes that you'd like to hear about, please contact us, the easiest way to do that that is by email. The address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sf, as in Sioux Falls, sfcatholic.org. Again, my name is Dr. Chris Bergwald, and I'm uh, happy to have on the phone with me today Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Omar, how are you? I am well, Chris. Great. And Deacon Omar today are going to be talking about the process by which um, a man or a woman becomes canonized. So the, the by which the, their cause for canonization, the, the means by which that process is advanced. Deacon Omar has some personal experience in that, not because his cause is underway yet. He's still alive, <laughs> but uh, maybe one day. Uh, no, he, he, he's he got some experience in that. And just looking forward to, to sharing with you maybe sort of the, the, the behind the scenes, if you will, aspects, things that many of us don't know about, about how exactly it is that somebody... Thank <laughs> you um becomes canonized, what, what that process entails. So that's what we're going to be talking about today on Ignition. If you've never listened before, again, my, my name is Dr. Chris Bergwald. I am the Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization with the Catholic Diocese of Sioux Falls in eastern South Dakota. The Missouri River pretty much bisects South Dakota, and the Diocese of Sioux Falls is the eastern half of the state. Um, been married to Jermaine for 20-plus years. Uh, she's from Ohio. I'm from Minnesota. But All five of our kids are born and raised here in sunny Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I I don't know if it's (laughs) sunny right now, but it will be uh, because it's the Plains. So, Deacon Omar, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners if they haven't heard of you before?
0: Uh, I don't know at all. Um, So, uh, Deacon Omar Gutierrez, I um, live and work in the Archdiocese of Omaha. Um, I have been... Working for the church for about 19 years. I'm the, um, president and co-founder of the Evangelium Institute, uh, an apostolate founded here in the Archdiocese to work with Catholic adults, uh, and focusing on Catholic school teachers. Um, but more importantly, I'm happily married to Miriam, um, of 15 years, 16 years this summer. And, uh, we have four kids and a fifth on the way, uh, due uh, in early April of 2020. Um, and uh, Chris and I go way, way back
1: Way, 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 way back um, I mentioned my wife's from Ohio You're from Cleveland Did you ever go swimming in Lake Erie?
0: Did I ever go swimming in Lake Erie? No, because when I was going from in Cleveland It was still toxic but, but but was
1: it on fire yet, or was that, oh that was was it the river?
0: Uh, no, that had happened uh, before uh, I moved there, and uh, it was still pretty toxic. And then while I was there, um, it almost caught fire again.
1: But uh, no. <laughs> thanks for bringing that up. Half, yeah. half a, well, I brought up with the Browns last time you were on. I, I, I thought right. we could do. <laughs> <What>? I, <laughs> keep going that way. Yeah. How is it with LeBron? Got no, I don't know. Okay, all yeah. right. <laughs> Um, enough with sore Cleveland subjects. Um, let's talk about something, uh, happier than that. The process by which, uh, man or woman, um, becomes canonized. So taking over first, um, why don't you you talk before we get into the details of the process, Mm -hmm. your own personal familiarity and experience with the process for a cause of canonization
0: yeah so um uh, many listeners may have heard of uh, Father Edward Flanagan, who's the founder of Boystown there was that famous movie of course um uh, that won an academy Award about his life and um so he was an Irish priest who um came here to the Archdiocese of Omaha and then just a the diocese um and uh, founded this this home for boys well it was the cause for his organization was opened a number of years ago and uh, when I, I worked for the Archbishop uh, full time then. And so I was a notary on the tribunal for the Archdiocesan phase of the process. and I, I learned a great deal uh, during those couple three years in working on the, this first phase of the cause. And um, uh, I'd like to share some of that knowledge and then just some general information about how the process works.
1: And why, so I know you've talked about this with, with others before. Um, What if if somebody's listening to this and be like, "Okay, wait, why why should I?" They're they're about ready, Deacon Omar. They're about ready to turn the dial because you know the radios still have dials. They're about ready to turn the dial. They're about ready to 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 skip this archive, this episode of Ignition. Why should they keep listening? Uh,
0: They should keep listening because one of the things that um, I learned (laughs) and I thought was absolutely beautiful about our process. Is the degree to which the church will go in order to make sure that we have confidence that when we pray to these people, when we look at their lives, that we're doing so in integrity, um, and that we're off, the church is offering us these beautiful examples of what it means to be a Catholic in your life right now. and that's what I got from from learning about the process, and that that's what I sort of share with people when I go talk about it.
1: Great, yeah. I, I think um, I mean, they are models of holiness. We we we, we seek their intercession, um, and they are models of holiness. So we should make sure that they live holy lives, and and the yeah. process does that. Yeah. So so tell us tell us what we need to know about the process for canonization, Deacon.
0: Sure. So uh, the first thing is that somebody needs to die,
1: right? Um, (laughs) Somebody's got to die. I mean, it's just, (laughs) you know, uh, somebody's going to have to die here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So once that person has passed away, um, there's a a grace period, let's say about five years or so, which can be waived if if the the people ask for it and the Pope decides it. But um, there's usually a grace period where you're not allowed to start a cause right away. um, As soon as the person dies, you have to wait a while. Um, and uh, one of the things that will sort of come up here is there are a lot of um, particular aspects of the way, about the way the Church does the investigations, um, and that comes from uh, centuries, millennia really, uh, thousands of years' of experience on how to, to look at saints. Um, and it, it was in the year 1234, the Church finally said, we need to have like a formal process, because what was happening before is you would have local people or a local bishop just declaring people saints with maybe not a lot of uh, proof or maybe because they like the person or for other reasons. So the Church said, hey, no, we have to have a formal process here. And that's developed over the years. um, uh, In Pope Urban VIII in 1634, uh, he starts revising it. And it's been revised many, many times. John Paul II revised it a little bit here as well. So um, uh, this grace period after the person dies is one of those um, things that the churches put in there to make sure that we didn't rush anybody through. That's the first thing. Uh, then the, after the, the that grace period is sort of over, um, there's an actor for the cause, and the actor of the cause is the group or organization or, or whatever that's coming to the church and asking the church to investigate this person to look into whether or not they, they should be canonized. Um, In the case of Father Flanagan uh, and his cause, it's an interesting um, thing, because most canonization processes are done either by religious orders, so maybe it's the founder of their order they want canonized, or a member of their order, or by dioceses, so uh, the the case with Archbishop Fulton Sheen is done by the Diocese of Peoria. In the case of Father um, uh, Flanagan, it was former boys, um, boys from Boys Town, boys who had been abandoned. Um, who had nobody else to care for them, who ended up at Boys Town, who many uh, years later, and relatively recently actually, got together and said, you know, we get together regularly as as alumni of uh, Boys Town. Um, we need to start a process for Father huh. Flanagan. So they came to the church, and uh, after some missteps here and there, the church in the Archdiocese of Omaha said we would look into it. The the next thing that needs to happen is uh, we need to find out where the person died. Um, and in the case of Father Flagan, he died in Berlin because he had been sent uh, to Europe after World War II to help European countries uh, care for the orphan children after the war. And while he was there, he had a, a massive heart attack and and passed away. So because he died in Berlin, uh, the Archdiocese of Omaha had to ask permission of the Cardinal Archbishop of Berlin to take up the charge uh, the cause. Uh, the Arch-Cardinal Archbishop said, yes, go ahead, and so then we started the process. The first step in the process then is then getting a tribunal together, and the tribunal includes somebody who represents the bishop, uh, includes somebody who is called the promoter of justice who had to be a canon lawyer, and this person's job basically is to make sure that everything, every T is crossed, every I is dotted, that we really investigate this person's life. Um, uh, the notary, which is what I was, who's there to kind of make sure everything sort of runs along efficiently, and then some copyists. And the copyists are there in order to make sure that all the uh, interviews and things are copied down and copied correctly and so on and so forth. Then the bishop needs to make a formal proclamation that the cause is opening. And and we actually, you actually have to do this. I mean, it's sort of like really medieval, but you have to go to the, the bishop has to go to the, the cathedral, and it had to be the cathedral. And they have to have a public statement with a big piece of paper and with an edict that says, we are formally opening the cause for this person. Anybody who has any information, whether good or bad, needs to come see me. Um, And traditionally, the, the rubric is you're supposed to nail it or attach it to the
1: doors of the cathedral.
0: Ours are made of bronze, so that wasn't (laughs) going (laughs) to happen.
1: If you get your glass cathedral cathedral. doors, just be very careful (laughs) as you (laughs) pound the nail.
0: (laughs) Um, So we we set up a tripod in cathedral, and we we had to have, by law, canon law, we had to have that uh, displayed in cathedral for, I think, um, at least a month so that uh, everybody could see. And then, of course, we put it out in the media. So anybody who had any information, good or bad, needed to come see us. And then the rest of the process on, on the tribunal's end is, is interrogating—and that's the, the official word—interrogating uh, witnesses uh, about uh, this person. And you can, as kind of an analogy, you can look at the whole process as a court case, right? Mm. Um, you have the, the prosecutor, which is the church, and we're trying to figure out the truth of the situation. And then you have the defense, which is the actor of the cause. And the actor of the cause, they hire a, a lawyer, essentially a defense lawyer, and his name is the, the postulator. His or her name, the postulator. And the postulator's job is to make the argument that the person that we're looking into really should be made a saint. Right. So those are the two sides essentially, and we're looking at uh, at each other. Okay. There's a couple but, other commissions, and then I'll stop talking. But in a second, <laughs> but, um, the, there's also an historical commission and a theological commission, and those are separate from the tribunal. But the tribunal sort of manages those other two. Uh, the theological commission, their job was to read anything and everything the person wrote to make sure there's, that there's doctrinal purity, that they didn't say anything heretical. Um, that, that even in private letters, they had to go through those kinds of things. They, they never, like, were mean to somebody, um, or recommended some, uh, a sin. That, they had to go through all of that. Right. And then at the end of their process, they have to provide a report, uh, on the, the person, um, uh, what did they say, anything against the faith? If there's a, a, a sense that maybe there was some kind of theological insight or a charism in their writing, to include that. And then the Historical Commission has to go through every single moment of their life. Every single moment. <laughs> um, so for every moment of their life, the, the Historical Commission has to provide uh, for a sense of where they were, what they were doing, what they were doing it with, who they were doing it with, and all those various things. They have to do that in order to make sure that um, we have a sense of who this person was and where they were.
1: Wow. If you're just tuning in to listen to Ignition, this is a broadcast for the New Evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And talking today with Deacon Omar Gutierrez of the Archdiocese of Omaha in Nebraska about the process by which someone is declared a saint, the cause for canonization. So everything you just went through, Deacon Omar, that's all still at the local level, correct? Correct.
0: Yes, all this is the very first phase. This is the Archdiocesan phase. We're handling all this at the local level.
1: So, and you talked about how, um, so the, the example that you you were familiar with, involved with the cause of, of for the canonization of Father Flanagan, the founder of Boys Town, he died elsewhere. And so the Archdiocese of Omaha had to get the permission of the Cardinal Archbishop, in this case of, of Berlin, because that's where he was when he died, to to take up the cause... That's, that was part of the controversy with um, um, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, right?
0: Uh, to a certain degree, yeah. So uh, the, he <clears> died <throat> in New York, and so the Archives of New York had the, the authority, um, but they weren't doing anything. <laughs> so right, Peoria right. came forward, and they asked permission for the cause. And so the Cardinal Archbishop, I think it was Egan at the time, said, yes, we give you permission to take up this cause. Um, so then the question was, well, who's going to keep the body in that? Right.
1: Was that, that's the country. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so there's all this investigation and, and you talked about um, the last things you were talking about. There was the historical commission, the theological commission, evaluating everything insofar as it's recorded um, that this, this man or woman said or did to make sure that it's, it's heresy free to make sure they weren't mm-hmm. some secret egregious sinner, um that sort of thing. But they were still a sinner, though, right? I mean, there's yeah. there's no expectation of them to have lived a sinless life. So, what's sort of the? Do you know what? What's the bar at which? Okay, um, they were grumpy, kind of like Saint Jerome was grumpy. Like they they, yeah. they said maybe we're impatient once. Um, that that gets up. That gets okay because that's we're sinners. Um, but, but any sense of like what? It, 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 did the commission make it an evaluation, or are they just reporting back? This is what we found.
0: Yeah, good question. So what the tribunal does in its interrogations is we have a number of questions, and in our case, I think we had, I think something like four hundred questions for each inter- interrogate uh, person we were interrogating, uh, each <laughs> witness. Uh, and um, first of all, there was a lot of biographical stuff that we would ask them, and some of these people didn't know any of that stuff. They were, you know, uh, we interviewed people who were in their 80s um, who were you know 12 when they knew Father Flanagan so they didn't know necessarily every detail of his life but we there's a whole series of questions about his life of virtue um so um certainly we had people tell us about father was grumpy one day or father was this or um, but the overall sense from all of them was um but he was a he was a good man he was a virtuous man and even though he wasn't perfect um and we have those stories and those stories are re- recorded. Like, so part of the job of the copyist is just to record everything the person says. So even if it's bad or even if it cuts this way or that way, that's their job is to record all of it. Um, the, the questions there to say, okay, so he did this bad thing or maybe he, you know, snapped at somebody, et cetera. Um, but what's your assessment of that? How you were there? What, what was it like? What was the sense of it? And they give us that as well. So the process takes into account the fact that we're all sinners, this person isn't perfect, there's no expectation of perfection. What we're looking for is, is there a sign that this person led a life of virtue that, um, that would recommend them to be... You know, to the next
1: step of, of that of the cause. Gotcha. Okay. So um, again, this is all at the local level and in part of it, you referred to virtue. I mean, the, the bar we're talking about here is a life of heroic virtue. So can you explain yeah. what, what is that? What, 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 what differentiates um, heroic virtue from, I don't know, ordinary virtue or whatever.
0: Yeah, well, that's the sticking point, right? So I'll answer the question by saying after, after that process at the local level is finished, and then, and they produce all the documents that are necessary. So these are all the interrogations, the reports, from the historical commission, the timeline of his life, all the theological work, and et cetera. All that stuff is put into, um, boxes and sent off to Rome. Uh, and Rome then binds those things. Uh, the, um, the job then is of the postulator, who's like the defense attorney for the actor. The postulator takes all that information, and then he writes what's called a posizio. The posizio is basically the case for canonization. Okay. And the purpose of the posizio is to argue that the person that we're talking about led this heroic life of virtue. And once they submit the positio, the congregation of the cause of the same, the cardinals and theologians look at it, and if they make the determination, based on the positio that this person did leave a, a life of heroic virtue, then the person goes from being a servant of God, which they were when we started the process, they were officially a servant of God as soon as we start the process, now they become a venerable. So when you hear about a venerable somebody, it means the Church has decided they did leave a life of heroic virtue. Now what does that mean, to your question? What's the difference between that and just regular virtue? It means a virtue that was consistent, a virtue that spread uh, not just to their um, public life, but their private life, a virtue that includes and touches on all the virtues. So maybe, uh, you know, this guy was very good with um, uh, prudence, right? But if he was not the very nice person. He lacked in charity. Well, that's not heroic virtue. You had to be a life of virtue across the way. And then the heroic part of it is is a, an aspect of virtue that helps to inspire other people to be virtuous. That's the key. And that's really what the cause of the canonization, uh, yeah, cause of the canonization of saints is looking for: is, um, is, is this person's life of virtue going to lead other people to faith? Going to lead other people to sanctity? Um, And in the case of Father Flanagan, for instance, we could say really quite definitively that it did. We know of at least three other causes for canonization of other people who say that they were inspired to do what they did because of Father of Flanagan. Wow. Um. So, it, does their life of virtue inspire other people to be virtuous, other people to be holy? If so, then that's a great indicator of heroic virtue.
1: So, and then, so, beatification and canonization are the two last steps, and, and what people, yeah. if, if they're familiar with those steps at all, they probably know that those each require a miracle that, that has occurred that it can be attributed to somebody seeking the intercession of this venerable. So, um, right. whoever this man or woman was, somebody prays to them for some some usually cure of some medical condition whatever and there's a miracle that happens then there's the whole process of establishing what's actually a bona fide miracle um yeah is there any apart from the 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 miracle though deacon is is there anything else um that that happens at those two final stages or is all the investigation that you've just been speaking about is that basically complete at that point
0: Good question. Yeah, so all of that investigation is completed. Once the church says the person is venerable, um, really the only thing we're waiting for at that point are our miracles uh, to occur, um, uh, because the church has determined that yeah, this person led a life the whole world of heroic virtue. In other words, they inspired other people to be holy. Uh, and so now the only question is, is this person in fact in heaven? Um, which is what the miracles are attempting to sort of demonstrate: is this person right. is in fact in heaven? Um, and I, I got to be part of a couple of, of tribunals to investigate alleged miracles as well. And, and one of the things that I was really heartened by in the, the first process, the archdocument phase, and in the miracle process is just how rigorous the standards are. It's a really high bar the church sets. There can be no wiggle room. Uh, you have to be absolutely sure there's no medical explanation for whatever it is the alleged miracle is. Um, and so you, you go through that whole process, um, and, uh, once that process is determined at the, at the tribunal level, it's sent to the Vatican. They have their own experts. They look it all over and then it's sent to the, the Pope's desk for final approval. But one of the things that people aren't always aware of is that, uh, yes, you need one miracle to become, uh, a blessed. Um, this, the next miracle, the miracle for canonization has to happen after the person has been named blessed. Oh. Uh, it can't happen before. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's the trick, and so when people often ask, "Well, how long does the canonization process take?" It's really, literally, up to God. <laughs> <I> mean, <Yeah. laughs> only he's a, you could do all the work and all the the the, the recording and interviews, etc., but it's really up to God, and He's the one who determines whether or not He's going to grant a miracle through somebody's intercession, uh, and that that last miracle that happens after they're beatified, that's the miracle that then gets them to be uh, a saint. The Pope. Being the Pope, and it's good to be Pope, he can wave the last miracle if he wants. Um, uh, we already have one that's gone through the process, made him blessed. Uh, the Pope can wave the last one, but typically there are
1: two miracles that have to be confirmed. Okay, if you're just tuning in and you're listening to Ignition, this is a broadcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, talking with Deacon Omar Gutierrez of the Archdiocese of Omaha in Nebraska today. Deacon Omar, and we're talking about the the process of canonization, the process by the investigation that happens to determine um, whether or not somebody is holy enough to be called a saint. Deacon, we've got uh, just over four minutes left. This is we're drawing to a close with this episode today. Um, what are, what are anything else? i guess that you want us to know to think about this process by which um somebody is is declared to say and the other thing i'm wondering anything else but also so where is the cause for father flanagan the one that you were involved with uh where's that at right now
0: yeah so um just uh in terms of let's just start with father flanagan where that cause is right so um uh, we turned in all the documents. Uh, we ended up having over 6,000 pages of documents that we uh, handed over. Um, my job as the notary was to stamp every single one of them. Wow. Um, so I didn't sleep for a couple of days there, but um, <laughs> uh, send those things off to Rome, uh, and uh, the positio has been submitted, and so we're really just waiting for determination from the Congregation of the Consumers of the Saints uh, to name them venerable. We're confident that we can make that um, uh, they'll make a positive finding, um, uh, but that's what we're waiting on is on, on that. Because you know, um, we are still encouraging people to pray to Father Flanagan, uh, especially for cases involving children. Um, but um, uh, so far, we've had a number of people who've claimed miracles, and, and we've we've looked at the into them, and there just isn't enough um, sure evidence that we can move forward with those. But um, so we would ask people to continue to pray to Father Flanagan. So uh, you had begun our conversation with why should people listen to this, why should they care about this process, and saints, et cetera. Um, I want to share a short story from one of the interrogations I had with uh, a former Boys Town boy who's now an old man, and we sat down with him and we spoke to him, um, and uh, he told us a story about uh, when he used to serve Master Father Flanagan. Father Flanagan was famous for getting up really, really, really early in the morning, uh and serving mass and he would have his sort of regular servers serve serve the mass and after mass was over he would give a blessing to each of the the boys and they would go on with the rest of their day uh well this this young man um who uh, was serving that morning um decided not to receive communion when we were speaking with him he didn't tell us why he didn't um he just said I, he couldn't uh and father took note of that and so after mass was over and the young man came up to him and knelt before him for the blessing um, Father put his hands on his shoulder and he said, dear, because he called all the boys dear, he said, dear, don't you know that you have everything here that's necessary to become a saint? And what I love about that story is um, that's true for all of us. Uh-huh. For all of us, we have what's necessary in our lives to become a saint because sanctity is, is available to all of us. It may not look like Father Flanagan's sanctity. Uh, there may not be another human person in the world who hears about our sanctity. We may never have a cause opened for our sanctity or, or canonization. But that sanctity, that holiness, is available to all of us, regardless of our background, regardless of our state in life. We are all called to be saints. We have everything before us. Um, we need to pray and trust in prayer that the Lord is providing those graces for us. And we just need to be open to them and to follow them so that we can be more faithful followers of him and draw other people to him.
1: Amen. Yeah, I think that's, you know, d- definitely um, living in the United States, um, a-, a country in many ways, but, um, protestant in its christian faith um historically at least at least the saints is is one of the, the the catholic distinctives differentiators that that maybe other other christians here aren't as familiar with obviously um so what i love about this especially that you ended with that deacon omar is is it shows us that that saints we seek the intercession because they're righteous and and in the letter of saint james he tells us that the prayers of the righteous are particularly effective, but they're also models for us who show us that it is possible to live this way, to live this life of holiness, of a heroic virtue, drawing closer to God um, and to our neighbor. Thank you very much, Deacon Omar, for explaining the process for with us today. It's been great to have you on. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. And that wraps up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. Until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.